Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello, and welcome back for the season finale of your favorite podcast, What Went Wrong. Lizzie, aside from our amazing episode that's coming up, we have a few announcements. Yes, we do. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be coming back with a season four premiere, bigger and better, on February 20th, 2023. That's right. Six days for you to get over the fact that your Valentine's Day sucked because our podcast (laughs) is coming back February 20th, and it's coming back with a Patreon. That's right. We are very excited about this. We've gotten a lot of recommendations from you all. We've had a shockingly large number of people asking us if they can donate to a Patreon. And the answer is finally, yes. So a couple of things we will be offering. We'll be offering one video of a select episode recording once a month. We've got bonus episodes coming on topical issues and (laughs) interviews with below-the-line individuals working in the film industry. These are the people that truly make movies happen, who you literally never hear from, and we try to talk about a lot in our podcast. Again, these bonus episodes will be coming once a months. <laughs> That's right. And when Chris says topical issues, that means things related to the film industry. We are not talking about anything else. <laughs> Nothing outside the film industry. And beyond that, we're going to provide other opportunities for friends of the pod to be engaged, including voting potentially on upcoming movies to cover and much, much more. Uh, we're also looking into offering merchandise and figuring out the most cost-efficient way to do that uh, in order to maximize our profits and ensure that you can afford as little as possible. Uh, Lizzie, anything else? (laughs) No, that about covers it. Um, We're very, very excited. Thank you all for sticking with us. And uh, tell your friends in the interim, really bring Mm -hmm. us back with a bang for season four. And uh, with that, Chris, would you like to hear a Lone Ranger joke? Sure. I'm going to let Army Hammer tell the joke on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Does everybody want to hear a Lone Ranger joke? So the Lone Ranger, he's out riding one night, ranging, whatever it is that he does. Loaning. Loaning. And and all of a sudden he gets taken over by a band of natives. And they take him and they say, all right, white man, 
we're going to kill you on the full moon in three days. He's totally nervous. And he looks at one of the guys, he goes, you're going to kill me? He goes, yep, in three days. He goes, well, do I get a last request? And I goes, no. He goes, can I just talk to my horse? The guy looks at me and goes, all right, sure, you can talk to your horse. He grabs the horse's head and he whispers real close to me. He goes, I said, He slaps the horse on the ass. The horse takes off running away. Sure enough, comes back a couple hours later with a beautiful brunette on it, naked, hair flowing in the wind. She brings him back, stops right in front of his tent. All the Indians are just like, eh, that was, yeah, that's a good trick. Sure, you can, yeah, yeah, you, you, we'll, we'll just kill you later. You go ahead. So she goes in. Next day, they say, all right, two days, we're going to kill you. He goes, can, can, I, can I talk to my horse again? They kind of chuckle a little bit, and they go, yeah, yeah, let, let, let him talk to the horse. Mm-hmm. So, so they bring the horse over, he whispers in the horse's ear, slaps it on the ass, horse runs away, comes back that night with a beautiful redhead, oh. buck naked on him, riding in on the horse, comes in, stops right in front of his tent, hops in, goes in his tent, they spend the night. Next morning, they say, all right, tonight's night, we're going to kill you. He goes, can I please talk to my horse one more time? And they go, you're not tired? He goes, just one more time. And they go, all right, fine. They bring him a horse, he grabs a horse, Pulls it right into his face and goes, For the last time, you stupid animal, I said, Bring me a posse! Isn't that what you think of when you think of Lone Ranger? <laughs> so that was told, I'm guessing, as publicity for this movie, which is a Disney movie on yeah. national television. Yeah, yeah, by yeah. Noted cannibal Army Hammer. That's um, correct. Oh my God. Uh, I have a lot. Of thoughts about this movie. I'd never seen it before. To those, uh, yes, we are covering The Lone Ranger. Lizzie, I don't want to step on any of this introduction for you, but I am chomping, or as it should be champing at the bit, yes. like Silver himself, to talk about this movie. I had never seen it before. I had only heard things about it, and I have a whole bunch of confused, mixed up thoughts, but I, I don't want to get in the way well, of you and Army Hammer both. Um, because that when I saw that, I was like, that really encapsulates for me like most of what went wrong, I think, on this movie. Because <laughs> yeah, it's a Disney movie. It is yep. ostensibly supposed to mostly be for children. It completely misses that boat, which we will get into. It is very violent. Uh, and Army Hammer, try as he might, while I will say this, listen, cannibalism and alleged sexual assaults aside, uh, I do think he's a good actor. He's not good in this. He's not believable at all as like a good leading man, probably because he's a cannibal, uh, alleged sexual assaulter. But, you know, this is just, it's weird. Beginning to end, it's really weird. And that's not even getting to the biggest and most problematic part of this movie, But first things first, you can't even stream this on Disney Plus for obvious Johnny Depp. (laughs) It's it's on Disney After Dark. (laughs) Yeah, Hannibal the Cannibal Army Hammer reasons. Um, They have shelved it. So you have to rent it. But it's so long and so boring that I only made it through the first two hours and my rental window expired. Oh my God, you had to rent it twice? That's the classic What Went Wrong. We should do a What Went Wrong Hall of Fame, the double rentals. I've had a couple of those before too. I mean, listen... You'll be happy to know that at least I'm 99% sure that my money did not go to Johnny Depp or Army Hammer because they're still Maybe. paying Disney back for this. Yeah. I saw the Bruckheimer. I was like, yeah, Jerry Bruckheimer, you know, who's produced a lot of Michael Bay stuff. Like, that makes sense. Gore Verbinski, obviously, Pirates of the Caribbean, et cetera. Like, uh-huh. that kind of makes sense. And then you see the Disney logo and you're like, huh, okay. 
And then they get into the movie and pretty quickly, it, it's very violent. Yes. There's a lot of reference to obviously like uh, a, a saloon where there's a madame and a whorehouse. And then it totally just glosses over loads of racism. Oh, and yeah. We'll get to that. It feels all, like it could have been rated R, weirdly. Yes. Um, but on the other hand... It's easy to, this is going to be an example. This is an easy movie to tear apart because so much is very obviously wrong. Yes. But, oh my God, the production design. Yeah, it's amazing. The cinematography, the VFX, the stunt work, all of the extras, and like all star cast of character actors. Well, we're let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right. So so sorry. I just wanted to really quickly just acknowledge it's not all bad. It's not all bad at all. There's a lot of bad to this and there's one big glaring bad, which we will get to very quickly. But um, no, it's, there's some incredible things about this that I am excited to talk about. Some of which came at the expense of the safety of the cast and crew. So released July 3rd, 2013, The Lone Ranger was directed by Gore Verbinski, as Chris said. It was written by Ted Elliott, Terry Rossio, and then written again by Justin Haith. You will notice in the credits that it is story by Ted and Terry get top billing, Mm. and then screenplay by it goes boop, 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 and Justin pops up to the top and he gets top billing there, even though all three are credited for both. There's a reason for that. Uh, starring Army Hammer as John Reed, a.k.a. The Lone Ranger, Ruth Wilson as Rebecca Reed, his sister-in-law slash lady he really <laughs> grossly kisses mm-hmm. <laughs> at the end. She kisses him. I know, she does. I, I hated it. I was like, yeah. Ruth, don't do that. Um, James Badgedale as John's much more interesting brother. Love, uh, love James Badgedale. He's great. He's I just, great. I, he's always so good. I know. When he comes in, and he, he's always underused, and they ice him early in these movies. Yep. And I, he, Kill him so I just, fast. I believe in you so much, James Badsdale. Anyway, please continue. Helena Bonham Carter, as the yep. one-legged madam that Chris mentioned, she shows up for like five minutes. No idea I why know. she's there. Cool character. Wish we got more of her. Fun leg. We'll get into yep. it. Um, Tom Wilkinson, as an evil rich man. Always a good bad guy. Always. I love him. Barry Pepper. Uh, yes. As Fuller Barry, get a new agent. This is Barry. not the first time. What went Barry's... wrong, alum Barry Pepper? <laughs> Poor Barry, who I love. He's so good. And he also got nothing to do. And I think he's I a really good actor. He is. And he's fun for the like 10 minutes he's in this. Yep. But it's really strange. He doesn't show yeah. up until like the last third of the movie. I thought I missed him earlier in the movie. I know. But, yeah. It's really weird. Also, way too few, but still excellent native actors like Saginaw Grant and one of my all-time favorites, Gil Birmingham. Gil Birmingham. Yes. Who, like, doesn't get a line, but is amazing. He does get a couple lines, and I will oh, say, I like... I felt like he barely got a line. He got, like, three, but, like, sure. even the three lines that he got to say were so much more elevated, and I was like, Gil, Gil what are you doing in here? Like, get, get out of here. It was, yeah. And then also, William Fickner... Yes. Who's like my favorite character actor of all time as yes. Cavendish the bad guy. Yeah. Steven Root shows yes. up Steven towards Root. the end. Love Steven Root. There's a lot of people in this. Damon Harriman shows up, has like one line. And then last- Isn't it Earl W. Brown plays like one of the sheriff rangers in the very beginning from Deadwood? He's yes. like- um, yeah. yeah, he's there for, very, again, underused. He's a great actor. James Frain of uh, True Blood and I That's think right. The Tudors. Yeah. He's also has no lines and gets killed. I was like, okay. Um, and then last but very much not least, the very, very not Native American Johnny Depp as 
Tonto. So that's the big yikes. Um, Let's just get get it out of the way right at the top. This movie is riddled with some really bonkers problems that we're going to get into from script all the way through post-production. Uh, but this makes it like nearly impossible to watch. It's it just, is it's blackface. So, it's, yes. Oh my it's God. That's what it is. And it's really bad. And it feels disrespectful in the moment. It feels like he's yeah. doing a bit. Yes. And it's like the character's not, the character's given its tragic backstory. And yet he's, it's played off as a joke for most of the movie. It's really weird. Especially weird given that they were trying to position this as like a re- a retelling, sorry, my brain just collapsed trying to think about Johnny Depp playing Tonto, um, a retelling of The Lone Ranger that placed Tonto more in the forefront and was mm-hmm. was supposed to be more focused on him. That, of course, is not actually what happens at all. It's really weird. Well, you could, you could see the seeds of it in that, I mean, it feels like they're trying to do a double origin movie, which is a yeah. really hard and I don't think possible. But I liked the idea of the character's backstory of like, let's personify this idea of a really messed up deal gone wrong where this, you know, native character Ugh. is screwed by the white man. I'm just saying, like, I feel like if you took a great Native American actor and put him in that role... Yeah, it, oh, it would have made a it, big it difference. It would have been such made such a difference. Um, yeah. Because this is just awful, what it is right now. Yeah, it makes it absolutely impossible to watch. And we are going to talk about this a decent amount in the episode um, because, yeah, it is it is worse than I thought it was going to be. And to to be clear, he is also very much pitched and, and explained in this movie as a full-blooded Comanche. Yeah. In the flashbacks, I'm fairly certain that is a Native American boy yes. playing young Johnny Depp. Yeah. Like, there's no getting around it. No. And there's a very clear reason that the makeup department... Which, by the way, who I think did a great job with their makeup, but like Johnny Depp's makeup is intended, that is blackface, it is obscuring the fact that he's a white man playing a Native American. And for anybody who's like, oh, but it's like Jack Sparrow. No, it's not. No. It's completely different. Well, that's what the producers thought. It's like Jack Sparrow. (laughs) All right, so I want to give a brief history of The Lone Ranger before we get into the rest of this, because it turns out this franchise is kind of completely fucked. Um... The Lone Ranger began as a radio show in 1933, which you'll notice is also when the movie starts as a little nod to when it started airing, out of uh, WXYZ created by Frank Stryker and or George W. Trendle. That was a bit weird. There were sort of different things, different places. They also created the Green Hornet. That's a character who is actually related to um, the Lone Ranger. And you can tell they were hoping to make a a spinoff from this as well. Didn't happen. Um, The basic story is pretty close to what you saw on screen. The Lone Ranger, John Reed, is the only survivor of an ambush that also kills his older brother, James Badgedale here. He's found and rescued by Tonto, and he vows to seek out Cavendish, the man who did it, and restore justice with the help of Tonto. By the way, I spent a long time trying to find out if there was any origin for Kimosabi that... Uh, just for anyone who doesn't know, Kimosabi is what uh, Tonto has historically referred to the Lone Ranger as. In this movie, they say that it means wrong brother. That does not show up anywhere else as being what it means. Trusty scout is much more common. However, the word itself has very shifty origins. Nobody can really agree on what it means, nor can they fully agree if it has origins in an actual native word or in the boys' summer camp Frank Stryker went to as a kid. So that is what we're dealing with across the board with this franchise. Also, Wendigo, used in the movie, 
not a Comanche Native American word. No, and we're going to get to that as well, because that has uh, that's a whole nother part of this. Um, right. The radio show was a massive hit and was then broadcast nationwide. Now, from 1949 to 1957, The Lone Ranger aired as a TV series starring Clayton Moore as John Reed and Canadian Mohawk actor Jay Silverheels as Tonto. There are obviously problematic and heavily stereotypical elements to Tonto's character in this TV show, but gotta call out, even in 1949, he was played by an indigenous actor. Mm-hmm. This movie came out in 2013. Yep. All right, so there's some weird cartoon adaptations and two features with Clayton and Jay, but then in 1981, we get our first truly cursed feature adaptation. This is The Legend of the Lone Ranger. Chris, do you know anything about this? Nothing. Okay, it's incredible. It could honestly maybe be its own episode, but I'm just going to quickly get into it here. So it's set up as a big-budget blockbuster. It stars first and last time actor Clinton Spilsbury, who was apparently so bad all of his lines were dubbed over in post. Um, Wow. Allegedly also may have been horrible to work with, but that was kind of iffy. But all of that has been pretty heavily overshadowed by a very wacky court case. So, remember Clayton Moore, the TV Lone Ranger? Mm-hmm. Well, he's in his mid-60s now, but he's still touring the country as the Lone Ranger. And as far mm. as he's concerned, there is one Kimosabe, and it's mm-hmm. him. <laughs> so, this actually ends up going to court because he will not stop appearing as the Lone Ranger, and the movie is gearing up to launch a whole new franchise with a whole new right. face. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he showed up with the mask on and had to be asked to remove it in court. (laughs) It's more drama than this movie. It's It's incredible. (laughs) Um, The studio won this battle, technically, but more kind of won the court of public opinion. He also kept touring around uh, the country, but now with wraparound sunglasses instead of the masks. Very crafty. Mm -hmm. Love him. Mm Mm-hmm. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So obviously it would have been absurd to have a 64-year-old star reboot this franchise, but allegedly Moore offered to do a Mask of Zorro-style handoff where he mm, would appear as the Lone Ranger. Good. Yes, mm-hmm. and then pass the mask on to the new star. They said no, and their movie tanked. So I think the first lesson we can learn here is The Lone Ranger is built almost entirely on nostalgia. Mm -hmm. It's not an amazing story. 
It no. does not have multifaceted characters. So you no. either need to lean into the nostalgia factor or you need to get out of there. It mm -hmm. doesn't work. Now, in 2002, Columbia Pictures ponies up the rights to The Lone Ranger with the plans to make it a Mask of Zorro-esque reimagining of the story. That makes sense. Hmm. Mask of Zorro was late 90s, I think 98. It was a huge hit. It's also yeah. great. great. Um, they even want to cast Tonto as a woman so it can be all sexy and stuff. Which I, that was when I was watching this, I was like Amber Mid-Thunder from uh, Prey, the new Predator movie. Oh. Like, do that with her now. It'd be great. Yeah, maybe don't touch this franchise again, though. Yeah, but, say, yeah. Just stay away. You're fine. Amber, you're leave, her, leave her alone. Yeah. Um, so the budget is set at roughly $70 million, with David and Janet Peoples, writers of 12 Monkeys, set to write it. But by 2005, Columbia has put the movie in turnaround, which, Chris, you always explain this. Want to explain it very quickly? So the studio has decided they don't want to make the movie, which means they're putting it into turnaround. So another studio could take the movie and develop it for themselves, but... They have to buy all of the money that has been put up against the movie so far. So if, let's say, they've paid $500,000, a million dollars, $2 million in development money mm -hmm. to fund this so far through test shoots or drafts of a script, etc., the studio that is seeking to purchase the movie has to pay them all of that sunk cost in order to take it off their hands, which is why so often if a movie falls apart at a studio, that can be the death knell of the movie, even if another studio might be interested. Because it's expensive because to pay for what they've already done. You're starting from a negative number then as right. the new studio coming in. But not too expensive for Jerry Bruckheimer. <laughs> Jerry Brooks. <laughs> who in 2007 swoops in and takes the project to Disney. Now, as far as I can tell, they are pretty much starting from scratch at this point. Bruckheimer of The Lone Ranger said, To me, he's a very heroic character. You see all these wonderful Marvel characters that have been around forever, and The Lone Ranger has been around forever and fights evil, too. Audiences like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris, you've already mentioned this movie once so far, but uh, what had Jerry Bruckheimer produced quite recently? Pirates of the Caribbean. Correct. And around the same time, Bruckheimer brings on Pirates of the Caribbean scribes Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio to write mm. The Lone Ranger. Now, according to Gore Verbinski, it was Ted and Terry's idea, and they pitched it to Bruckheimer to begin with. I didn't really see that anywhere else, but that did come hmm. up in a couple of his interviews. Um, that makes sense because, Chris, do you know what else these guys have written? No, I don't. I don't know their credits. Their credits are insane. Aladdin, Shrek, The Mask oh. of Zorro. Oh, interesting. And then, of course, Pirates of the Caribbean. It's a great, great credits. Oh, they're Those amazing. Super talented. I think losing them was a massive blow to this movie. Mm -hmm. The Curse of the Black Pearl, Pirates of the Caribbean, made $654 million worldwide. Yep. So just keep that in mind. Now... Elliot and Rossio are a very interesting and clearly very talented duo. There were also some reports that they enjoy rewriting their scripts a little bit while on set, based on the way that they see some actors performing their roles. Hmm. Obviously, with their track record, this has worked, but it's done so by yielding some pretty wacky and weird performances like uh, Johnny Depp in mm -hmm. Pirates. Now, this was fun. Um, I'm sure this will be in its own episode, but... 
When executives first saw dailies of Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow, they screeched uh, Mm -hmm. because they said they had a, quote, gay drunk lead. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) It was good. It worked. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Good, uh, Good energy. He did. And exactly. And that movie, I don't think would have worked without Johnny Depp, which brings us to 2008. Johnny Depp is announced as Tonto. Gore Verbinski also takes credit for being the first to suggest Johnny Depp as Tonto in early discussions for the film. So how common is it to announce an actor prior to a director for something like this? It doesn't seem that common. Um, I can think of some examples, but yeah, usually that's tricky. You're like, that's, you're taking something that the director wants to have a big say in, um, and taking it away from them. Um, you know, I can say from personal experience, it's happened (laughs) once for me, it worked out fine, but there's a reason why usually you want the director in on that decision since they have to work with the actor throughout the entire process. Don't need them. Johnny Depp's coming in first. Uh, and the other thing is that this leans even more into the idea that this is Tonto's movie. They're casting Depp first. They're not casting him as the Lone Ranger, which some people thought that I saw one interview that was saying that like Jerry Bruckheimer maybe thought that's what was being pitched initially, but I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. So I poked around a lot and I actually did not see a ton of pushback on Depp being announced as playing a Native American character back in 2008. It seems like that takes a couple of years for people to think about it and realize it's a really, really bad idea. Um, Mm -hmm. Depp himself claims to have some Native ancestry. Quote, my great-grandmother was quite a bit of Native American. She grew up Cherokee or maybe Creek Indian. Makes sense in terms of coming from Kentucky, which is rife with Cherokee and Creek. Uh, Just want to clarify, this is not confirmed by anyone. Also, just because you have a small percentage of Native American in your 23andMe does not make you Native American. Yeah, my mom's Puerto Rican. (laughs) I'm not going around playing Puerto Rican in (laughs) movies or my day-to-day life. And uh, she's not just a little bit way back. My mom is from Puerto Rico. (laughs) So, yeah, you don't do that. No. Quote, the interesting thing, if you find out you've got Native American blood, which a lot of people do, bingo, Johnny, a lot of people do, um, if is you think about where it comes from and go back and read the books, you have to think somewhere along the line, I'm the product of some horrific rape. You just have that little sliver in your chemical makeup. The the press tour for this movie. Oh, it's a train wreck. Also, how did, like, stop him. Stop him. What is he, I mean, like, first of all, what he's saying, if if you have family that has been in America for, you know, five, six generations, the likelihood that you have a very small portion of Native American is probably pretty high. So, like, this is not something to be parading around as the reason that you should Mm -hmm. represent a full-blooded Comanche on screen. Anyway, it goes downhill from here. Um, Depp makes it clear from the get-go he's hoping to reinvent Tonto, and the movie is too. This is why he's the first name announced, as we said. Mm -hmm. They say that they want to make Tonto the lead this time, and in theory, undo some of the stereotypes that former versions of Tonto had perpetuated. Um, But they uh, cast Johnny Depp, so. Yep. 
Now, while telling the story from Tonto's perspective seems to have been top of mind for Depp and for Verbinski, it apparently wasn't the vision that Rossio and Elliot had. This is according hmm. to Gore Verbinski as well. So right out the gate, we've got some script problems. Mm-hmm. Chris, have you heard anything about an original version of this script that might seem unusual? No, I have not. I really tried to look up nothing in this movie, so... There is something that will come up if you start digging into the Lone Ranger, which is werewolves. Werewolves? (laughs) Well, there is a weird movie. Like, there's a moment in this movie where... Yes. uh, um, Army Hammer's uh, John Reed touches a cursed rock. Uh Uh-huh. And then, like, sees all these visions that concludes with him as a cannibal. Uh-huh. And that never comes back. Nope. And I was like, <laughs> what is that happening? Uh, so That's okay. right. So it's not actually werewolves, um, mm-hmm. but it's close. In 2009, Mike Newell is in Talks to Direct. Now, this might seem surprising since, according to Gord Rabinsky himself, he was privy to the genesis of this movie. But mm-hmm. he says he was approached and he declined early on because there was something a little odd about the original Rossio and Elliot script. Right. Werewolves. Werewolves. Sort of. Yes, Not actually sure. werewolves. Uh, mm-hmm. It was Wendigos. But when you look this up, you will see the word werewolf. Um, gotcha. This is what people are talking about. This is why, randomly throughout the movie, Johnny Depp is throwing that word around with, for mm-hmm. seemingly no reason with no payoff. Um, you may have noticed in the movie that, yes, there are references to a Wendigo, which is a terrifying carnivorous evil critter from Native American and Native Canadian folklore. With a yes, taste a northern, northern, a northern, yes. northern American Native different tribes uh, Native yes. American legend. That's correct. Uh, yeah. With a taste for human flesh and also those weird carnivorous rabbits, a highlight of the film. Yeah, what <laughs> was that? And they ended on it, too. I know. It's so weird. And the fact that Cavendish, played by William Fickner, straight up eats Stan Reed's heart. Um, it seems that these may be relics of an original script that had a shit ton of supernatural elements in it, including mm. something to do with supernatural coyotes. I don't know. This should not be surprising, though, given that Pirates features an undead ship of zombie pirates. I was that's, say that's true. I forgot villain. about that. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're you It, know, like, works more in the Caribbean, I feel like. You know, if you're going to do a weird, reinvented Lone Ranger, why not put werewolves in it? I, well, you got to lean into it, I guess. That's yes. That's the thing. And they didn't yeah. really do that. I think their original script did also. Uh, famously, the Lone Ranger always carries silver bullets, which I'm guessing is why they made that connection, because that's how you could then kill Didn't the werewolves. Yeah. Well, he does have them in this movie, but it's like barely mentioned. Now, it's unclear whether the script just wasn't working or whether the studio was worried that the supernatural stuff would cost way too much money on a movie mm-hmm. that was already looking very expensive. But suddenly, Rossio and Elliot are out as writers. Wow. Around 2010, Justin Haith, I think is how you pronounce his name, a novelist and screenwriter fresh off uh, fun time Western romp Revolutionary Road, is brought on to rewrite the screenplay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And according to a timeline of this mess from The Hollywood Reporter, Verbinski signs on to Helmet around this time. He also claims that Justin's new script was based off of Verbinski's initial pitch for the movie. Um, How much fun is Revolutionary Road? It's a grand old time. I think that's when Leo decided he only wanted to date 20-year-olds after that movie. 
Oh yeah, uh, that's very dour. I mean, this movie yeah. feels like two or three movies at odds with each other. Yeah, <laughs> and some of those movies, I really am like, oh, that's cool, I like that. And other ones, I'm like, what is what's happening? This is not good. Yeah. It's at this point that I want to call out some pretty major plot similarities to another movie I have now mentioned a couple of times. Chris, do you know what I'm talking about? The Mask of Zorro? Bingo! Mask of Zorro. So Justin may have rewritten out the supernatural elements, but the end result still bears some very striking similarities to The Mask of Zorro. Uh, I cannot take full credit for this. This is something that plenty of people have called out, but the similarities are pretty wild. Both movies feature a lost brother. Both movies feature a baddie with a taste for human flesh and or flesh in liquids. If you remember in Mask of Zorro, the weird blonde guy. Yeah, he takes body parts and keeps them in jars and like sips on the little jar liquid. Um, Both movies have said baddie working for an even bigger baddie. Uh, yes, working for that is even, a classic. It is. Bigger, richer baddie with deep set ties to another major character in the film who is now set on revenge. That is Tonto and Tom Wilkinson mm-hmm. here uh, and Anthony Hopkins and Catherine Zeta-Jones' dad in The Mask of Zorro. Um, both baddies are after a precious metal. This one's silver. Mask of Zorro is gold. And both mm-hmm. baddies meet their end when they are smushed by a rolling cart of said precious metal. <laughs> mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, to me, this had a lot of vibes of... Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. Sure. Trying to set up the origin story and all that. And Wild Wild West, unfortunately. I yeah. felt some Wild Wild West in this as well. Um, well, yeah, because they're trying to do like a, a hip mm-hmm. a hip new Western, which just maybe don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you might notice that we still don't have a Lone Ranger. Bruckheimer himself even said they were waiting to cast the role until they had a director and waiting on depth to finish filming Pirates 4 anyway. So they're like, whatever, Mm -hmm. don't need him. Can you guess another actor who was allegedly in talks to don the mask? You love him. I mean, I always... Ryan Gosling. Yes. (laughs) That's why I was hoping that it was Ryan Gosling. I'm like, this movie would be so good with Ryan Gosling. No, it wouldn't. Yes. No, I mean, obviously, and also recast Johnny Depp. Um, (laughs) But like... Ryan, like Gil Birmingham as Tonto yeah. and Ryan Gosling oh, as, shit. like, that's, oh my God. Yeah, you're I, that'd right. That would be great. It would that, be great. It could be good. Uh, it is interesting, though, when I was looking, because I, I saw, like, Ryan Gosling's name pop up in one place, and I usually poke around and try and find a bunch of the industry trades articles. Mm-hmm. And it was within 24 hours that the articles saying Ryan Gosling in talks at, were followed up by Ryan Gosling will not play the yeah. Lone Ranger. Wait, Johnny Depp's playing who? Okay, thanks, guys. Bye. Yeah. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs> Did not last long. Mm-hmm. So by April of 2011, Army Hammer is in talks for the role. We all know Army Hammer these days as an allegedly cannibalistic sexual assaulter. He's currently under investigation uh, for that whilst working as a timeshare salesman. Um, But back in 2011, he'd just come off his turn as the Winklevoss twins in The Social Network. The Winklevi. The Winklevi. He's great. He's excellent in that movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. It is a great movie. He's very good. He is. um, He is just playing double rich assholes who are used to always getting their way, though, which, in case you aren't aware, Army Hammer is very, 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 very rich. Yes. Yes. Uh, His grandfather, Armand Hammer, for whom he's named, was a massive oil tycoon. And not the inventor of Armand Hammer. That's correct. Which is what someone on this podcast may have thought named Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. 
<laughs> no. Army Hammer of the Arm and Hammer Force. No, yeah. that would be the cruelest <laughs> joke to play on your child. Um, but but he, it would be so fun. I guess. I guess. Why not? You're very rich. You can. He's ultra rich. He's tall. He's blonde. He's very handsome. And obviously everyone in Hollywood thinks it's time to make Army Hammer happen. However, he is by no means a huge star at this point. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, yeah. what they didn't realize is there was only one star coming out of the social network. And that was Dakota Johnson. Yeah, well, and Rooney Mara. <laughs> yeah, but I'm talking like blockbuster billions, like with the Fright 50, 50 Shades. That's true. There um, you go. So, yeah. Um, so this just underscores what we keep hearing, which is that the Lone Ranger was not the intended star of this movie, even though he was the titular role. Yeah, it makes sense. He would be second, like definitely second bill. Exactly. You know. Exactly. And certainly cheaper than Johnny Depp. Now, by July of 2011, the rest of the cast has been assembled, including Tom Wilkinson, love, Helen Bonham Carter, love, sometimes. Always great. Yeah. Uh, Barry Pepper, love, poor Barry. Love, love Barry. And... Dwight Yoakam uh, was supposed to play the carnivorous, maybe once slightly Wendigo Cavendish. Really? Yeah. Okay. I kind of uh, want to see that. <laughs> he's got a na- like. I could see him having a nastier like disposition. One thing I did think was like, I love William Fickner. Do not get me wrong, but I kind of felt scary. like, <laughs> yeah, he was. He's not. He, I love him as more of like the dry, you know, character yeah. actor. And so, yeah, I'm t- interesting. Dwight Yoakam, yeah. as we know from Sling Blade, can be very scary. That's what I mean. He can be really nasty. Yeah, he's um, a good actor. I was thinking even or like a Killian Murphy type or something like that mm. if he went a little younger. Yeah. Um, and again, Nazi William Fickner is a wonderful actor. Oh, he did he's a great, great job. And uh, that's, anyway. I will say William Fickner did look, <laughs> so I watched a lot of behind the scenes videos. He did look the most scared of the trains, which made me love him so much more. Yeah, as he should be. As These you should are terrifying. Be. Everybody else is like, I loved it. My head's dangling over the side. William Fickner's going, so you want me to, it's, you want me to, it's moving? You want me to move on the moving train? Yeah. <laughs> like, Isn't there like yes. a green screen for this? Can we do a green screen for this? <laughs> He's the only one. Oh man. It's so funny. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, so filming is supposed to begin in October of that year, but something happens in August of 2011. Disney completely shuts down production because someone looks at the budget and says, hell no. And they don't just shut down production. They essentially shelve it. They're like, we're not doing this. Yeah. I mean, because (sighs) this movie looks 
great. Mm-hmm. Like they spent money, and I, I, every aspect of it, like the locations, the costumes, the production Beautiful. design, the extras, the CGI. Like that's the best CGI horse work I've ever seen. Like industrial the shots, light and magic. They did an amazing job. Yes, like, they did. That looks so good. So yeah, I mean, it clearly was extremely expensive. And by the last Pirates of the Caribbean movie, they were just shoveling cash into the furnace like it's coal <laughs> to keep the movie going, I feel like. Um, and those movies are really fun. So it's nothing against them, but I definitely, I'm sure it had bloated is my point. You know, the, the way that they were making these types of movies had become very expensive. Yes, although as we're going to get into, a shocking amount of this movie is practical. I, that, that's like why I think it's so expensive too. Like a lot of the pirate stuff was practical as well. Yes. Uh, now, Bruckheimer is no stranger to his films being shut down due to budget issues. Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, Pearl Harbor, and Armageddon all suffered the same fate. The difference is... Michael Bay? No, those were all hits. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say also Michael Bay getting on the phone with someone being like, do you really want to fuck with me right now? <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. So Rich Ross, at the time the head of Disney Studios, was very concerned about the fact that he already had two massive over $250 million films in the pipeline. One was the ill-fated John Carter, which we will certainly cover, and Oz the Great and Powerful. There's another big concern with The Lone Ranger. What is it, Chris? You've called it out before. Uh, the racism of Johnny Depp? Well, no, no, no. They're not, not worried about that. That won't be a problem when it comes to money. What type of movie is at this point not making money? Oh, Westerns. Bingo. It's a genre that outside of prestige dramas like True Grit and 310 to Yuma has been declining in popularity for years. Chris already mentioned it, but Wild Wild West is a famously big flop, although yep. it is kind of fun. As was Cowboys and Aliens, which was much more recent to this one. And but, John Carter is a Western. John it's Carter a Western is a Western. On Mars, but yeah. it's a Western. It also fails. Now, Bruckheimer pushes back big time, but it sounds like the person behind the ballooning budget is Gord Verbinski. He was apparently very tired of water at this point and very excited about trains. Uh, <laughs> real trains, that is. <laughs> So Gore really wanted to do as much of this movie practically as was humanly possible. And by October of 2011, Disney has put the project back on the schedule because Verbinski, Depp, Bruckheimer, and I think Army Hammer all agree to reduce their fees by around 20%. And Verbinski, Depp, and Bruckheimer agree to forego their back end if the film comes in over a newly agreed upon $215 million cap. Hmm. This is why I think they're all still paying Disney back. Many of the articles at the time also referenced the Pirates connection. One could definitely make the leap that Depp, Rabinsky, and Bruckheimer leveraged their successful franchise to get the green light on Ranger, i.e. Mm -hmm. did they, you know, mm -hmm. dangle a contract to get this done. So it's now slated for a May 2013 release. Fun fact, Jack White is briefly attached to write the music. I thought that was mm. interesting. But yeah. he bails shortly thereafter and is replaced by Hans Zimmer. Um, Jack White writing the music does make me feel like they were really intending this to be a much edgier, more deconstructed Western than what we end up with. Mm -hmm. And I think that we see that in the tone, too, what you're talking about in terms of it really not making any sense. Um, Bruckheimer said of White's involvement at CinemaCon, Quote, so we're going to have a little rock and roll score, and I can't wait to hear his rendition of the William Tell Overture. Well, it would probably be cool, but you'll never hear it. 
Um, unfortunately, Dwight Yoakam also bails due to scheduling conflicts and is replaced relatively last minute by William Fickner, who we love and who hates trains. Allegedly. I don't know that. So production begins in March of 2012, and right away, things are going off the rails financially. There are delays due to wildfires and a chickenpox outbreak on set, Jesus. which push schedules back. Also, Tim Alexander, one of the film's visual effects supervisors, said of Rabinsky, quote, it became very apparent early on that he's very much into building the stuff. This is Army Hammer on Conan explaining how they shot that crazy, crazy shot where he's on the very, very tip top of a tower that looks like they couldn't possibly have done it practically. That looks crazy. Yeah, that is a point called Dead Horse Point. And you know if anything in nature is named after an animal, it's pretty intense. And a dead animal specifically means... Right, never a good sign. Not a good sign. No one says, let's go have a hamburger at Dead Horse Point. Right. (laughs) You couldn't if you wanted to, because you can't even get water on Dead Horse Point. But, uh, I mean, obviously it's not that sort of cylindrical and tall. It's more of a butte, but we shot on the edge of it. And they built this wooden structure that uh, I got to the bottom of it and I looked up and I remember grabbing one of the beams and just kind of pushing it remember like this is moving a little bit like this isn't this doesn't feel very solid and they're like yeah yeah so what you're gonna do there's actually a carabiner up there yeah so go up there and clip yourself in I was like no one's going up there they're like we can't really put two people on it and I was like okay. you know what? they probably weren't that worried about losing you because they thought you had a twin <laughs> <laughs> I love good joke from Conan <laughs> and that shot looks great it does look great. It just gives you an idea of how much of this they are doing themselves. Uh, Tim Alexander again, quote, he's about getting as much as he can on camera, as much reality as he can. Trains are really difficult to shoot on, as it turns mm-hmm. out. Yeah, um, they shake a lot. And yeah. they're loud. And you can't <laughs> hear anyone talk. And it takes forever to slow them down. It takes forever to speed them up. And, yeah, yeah, and they're very expensive. But... Uh, and you can't turn them around. <laughs> you yeah. cannot. Gord Verbinski really, really loved the trains. Um, he built that entire Old West town and five miles of train tracks around and it. It looks great. It looks awesome. This yeah. is north of Albuquerque is where the main uh, five miles of train tracks were set. They also built them in an oval, which was apparently Gord Verbinski's mm-hmm. idea because that means you can get the trains running all four mm-hmm. directions, north, south, right. east, west. Additional train tracks were built in and around Moab, Utah, and sections of the Union Pacific Railroad were also used. So obviously not all of the trains are real. As I said, Industrial Light and Magic did the VFX for this movie. You can watch some pretty cool behind-the-scenes videos on how they created a lot of the last 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. but they're really only creating the things that humans absolutely could not be involved in. Mm Mm-hmm. As I said, I watched the BTS doc on YouTube, and these men, these men love their trains so much. Um, <laughs> they didn't just build the tracks. They also built these trains to look exactly right for the era. They went up to 30 to 40 miles per hour. And not only did Gore love the trains, he loved putting the actors on the trains. Mm-hmm. According to Bruckheimer, uh, quote, Gore believes the audiences can tell what's fake. He put the actors on top of the trains. That's really them doing that. <laughs> it's crazy. And also, yeah. some of those shots looked so good. I was really, they're really blown it. away. <laughs> you can watch this documentary and it looks fucking miserable. I mean, I'm some sure. of them, Ruth Wilson, who may be some kind of sociopath, looks like she's having fun. Everybody yeah. else yeah. is like this. This is awful. 
Well, berry pepper seems to kind of enjoy it too. So they weren't just on top of trains either. Sometimes they were on top of trains that were on top of semi-truck beds. So anywhere they couldn't get a actual trains railroad. and trucks? Hell <laughs> like... yeah, buddy. Trains and trucks. Michael Bay's new movie. <laughs> um, they literally just put them on a bed of a truck and they were driving around through these crazy windy highways. Yeah. And they're on top of those. Great. As you can probably guess, because they were doing so many of their own stunts, things did get dangerous for the cast and crew. Many of them, as I said, did their own stunts, including Johnny Depp. Now, I want you to watch this video, Chris, because Mm. it's going to give you, I think, a pretty visceral reaction. This is a video that started circulating while they were still shooting that shows uh, what almost happened to Johnny Depp. Did you see that? Yeah, Johnny Depp falls from his horse and is almost trampled by his horse. Yeah, he really almost got his head stopped. Really, truly almost trampled. Like, it's not one of the, like, he fell off the back. It looks like the horse is going on top of his head for a second. No, that, when I saw that video, that's like, yeah, I mean, it looks very dangerous. If you all want to see it, you can go and search, like, Johnny Depp, Lone Ranger accident. It will pop up. It is crazy. Uh, first of all, the fact that it's both of them, it's both of them doing most of the riding in this and a lot of the running on the trains. And Johnny Depp just slowly slides off the horse and goes completely underneath it. Um, Mm -hmm. I did say this was kind of sweet. He later on thanked the horse for saving his life because if you watch it, it does not step on his head. It definitely looks like Mm -hmm. the horse goes out of its way to jump over him. And so he did thank the horse. That's good. Allegedly, a stuntman was also injured on the set in New Mexico, although I could not confirm what that injury was. And Army Hammer reportedly also fell off a horse and hurt his elbow. Unfortunately, someone actually did die. Water safety expert Mike Bridger suffered a heart attack while underwater cleaning a pool that was going to be used in the film, and he drowned. Now, the studio definitely tried to sweep this under the rug as an unavoidable accident. Um, pretty much everyone did agree that, yes, he he did, like, he had a heart attack. Um, mm-hmm. That is what happened. However, OSHA did an investigation. They end up fining a producer on the film over $60,000 because they didn't have anywhere near the safety protocols they were supposed to have in place. Other staff members were not trained in CPR or they were not up to date in their CPR training. Um, Mm. And they did not have a standby diver available when he was in the water. Uh, I watched a video with his brother, which was really sad. And apparently there was a second diver, but that guy just like walked off to get a sandwich or something for like Mm. 10 or 15 minutes, during which time Mike had a heart attack, was underwater the entire time. And Mm. then when he was pulled out, was not able to be resuscitated. So his death may have been avoidable had they had the proper amount of trained staff on site. We'll never know. It's very sad, but one does have to wonder if this may be related to the desire to keep budgets down. Because remember, if they go over $215 million, it starts to come out of Depp, Verbinski, and particularly Jerry Bruckheimer's Mm -hmm. pockets. Um, Other reports said that they had cut back on other below-the-line folks, such as makeup artists and production personnel, to try and reduce the ballooning budget. So that was... Very sad. Now, sometime around the spring of 2012, which remember, they are in production. They are filming this movie. It sure seems like somebody in the PR department realizes they've got a huge issue on their hands. 
With Johnny Depp's casting? Not Native American. Yes, that's there the one. There we go. I that's keep waiting one. for this to come up. Here yeah. it is, 2012. It only took four years to come up. <sighs> um, they did apparently have a Comanche advisor on the film, but it was interesting in the little behind-the-scenes doc that I watched. You remember the the Comanche village that they go to that Gil Birmingham is in? Uh, yes. This guy is like, yeah, we're on the set of the Comanche village, although we Comanche did not ever actually live in forests. We live on the plains. But mm-hmm. anyway, they really went <laughs> out of their way to make the teepees look authentic. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, this poor man. Yeah, yeah. So here's where their campaign to try and make this right begins. In April, um, Navajo Nation president and vice president are invited onto the set of the film to meet the cast and crew for a photo op complete with Johnny Depp in full Tonto costume. I guess this is a nice gesture considering a chunk of the movie is filmed on or close to Navajo Nation land. Uh, I'm not sure how genuine it is because just one month later, news breaks that Johnny Depp was officially adopted into the Comanche Nation. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, There's some really uncomfortable photo ops here as well it's it, this is just all a bummer because like i there's a comanche activist um named ladonna harris who is very complimentary of depp and like praising the ideals he's held throughout his career and also praising that his portrayal would be of a full-blooded comanche tonto it's sad because like i understand if this was pitched to her as like, this is a new version, he's the lead, like there's a Comanche hero that's the lead of this movie. Um, but like, no, man. He's, yeah, but that's not what happened. Like she was no. duped in some way, like they lied. And uh, that's, that's what I mean, that's what I have to think, because that is yeah. not the version of the movie. That, no, that's not the movie that that got made it to the screen. No, it's uh, he plays second fiddle. Yes to the white characters' stories, even though his story is much more interesting. Yep. And his character is utterly incomprehensible also. Yeah. Like, it makes his character makes no sense from a writing perspective. I have well, no idea if it's a joke or not a joke. It's so it's weird. It's really weird. And beyond that, you know, she's saying this is a portrayal of a full-blooded Comanche, but the film goes out of its way to make it clear that he is not part of the community and that mm-hmm. he's not like the other Comanches. And in yeah, fact, exactly. he sold them out. It's a really, mm-hmm. really weird choice. Um, yeah. So this whole thing just made me really uncomfortable. I felt very bad for, uh, you know, everybody involved. And it just, it feels like PR stunts. Like it's, you can tell when these things are happening one right after the other, like they know they have a problem. Then Depp goes on to do a Rolling Stone interview in which he says, quote, I wanted to maybe give some hope to kids on the reservations. They're living without running water and seeing problems with drugs and booze. But I wanted to be able to show these kids, fuck that. You're still warriors, man. By showing that they can't play this character. It's yeah, it doesn't read right. Everyone just obviously is attempting to save their financial yeah. investment by claiming that they're doing this in honor of something right. when they're desecrating it for money. And it, it it's just bullshit. And it's yes. just very frustrating. 
Yeah. And I mean, also, I don't know if you've seen this, there is a James Cameron quote as well that's circulating right now that was from around the first Avatar where I'm going to butcher this, but he basically says something very similar where he's like, I wonder if we could have gone back in time and told, you know, native peoples what was going to happen if they would have fought harder. It's like, wow. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what to say other than that these men should Shut, shut their mouths. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. So production and post continues. Um, but also in the summer of 2012, reports start coming out that the budget has gone right back up over $250 million again. Disney denies this, but anonymous sources are talking to the press and they're confirming that it is ballooning. They're also saying that rewrites are happening and more action sequences are being excised from the shooting schedule. So this is probably a lot of the weird choppiness that you're seeing throughout the Mm -hmm. movie is happening around here. Also, in May of 2012... Ross is ousted at Disney due to John Carter tanking, among other Mm -hmm. things, and Alan Horn comes out of retirement to take his spot. Horn reportedly went to work right away in The Lone Ranger and cut several minutes out of the scene where Cavendish eats Reed's heart. He said, quote, I like heart in my movies, but not that much heart. Again, yeah. He's right. If I were a Disney exec, I'd be like, you can't have a character who eats another character's heart. That was a really weird moment. No, it's like Last of the Mohicans level heart-eating graphic. Like, it's weird. And it's also weird because you can tell they had already shot a very long sequence that that they just chop down in a way that doesn't Mm -hmm. really make any sense. So Alan Horn, 100% right, but he came in too late. Most of this had already been shot. Mm-hmm. As we've said, the movie is very gory, like way too gory for kids, kind of unpleasant to watch as an adult because none of the violence really makes any sense. Well, and it's like alternately played for horror, but then played for comedy in a way that feels very confusing. I wonder if this is related to the Elliot and Rossio script as well, because mm-hmm. the violence may have made more sense and played more palatably had it been a more supernatural um, feature. But when they removed right. that, it exactly. makes it weird. Yes, yeah, when it's like a werewolf eating someone's heart, kids can... Exactly. Oh, okay, that's a monster, but it's just some dude eating someone's heart. Yeah. Okay, this feels very real. 
All right, so The Lone Ranger drops its first trailer at San Diego Comic-Con almost a year ahead of the movie's launch, beginning a massive and incredibly expensive marketing campaign. They drop a Super Bowl commercial for this thing, and they're pushing the Pirates of the Caribbean connection pretty hard throughout the campaign. All in all, it's rumored to have cost at least $150 million to market and distribute this, and I think that's probably low. Putting oh, definitely Disney, low. Yeah. Putting Disney all in at $400 million plus. Meaning they need to hit $800 million plus to break even. Yep. However, when The Lone Ranger hits theaters nationwide on July 3rd, 2013, it is unquestionably, immediately, a massive... Big time flopper. <laughs> big time <laughs> floppers with Lizzie Bassett. We got uh, a big time flopper on our hands. Yes, you do. All right. It is critically panned in addition to being a huge commercial failure. According to Box Office Mojo, it takes in around $30 million its opening weekend. Pretty bad. It gets its ass handed to it by Despicable Me 2. <laughs> the Minions is- Rally. It's just what I'm going to say. The The minions minions show up. Make so much money. They do. The Lone Ranger would go on to make $260 million worldwide total. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. It's immediately compared to John Carter. Honestly, I think unfair to John Carter. That was a better movie than this. Depp and Hammer come out in defense of the movie. Notably, I would say significantly more Army Hammer than Johnny Depp. I wonder if Johnny Depp was like, ooh, I need to. Yeah, he was probably like, I need to back away from this a little bit. Yeah, but then was he? Because he went and did those Dior commercials. Anyway, um, (laughs) so basically Army Hammer came out saying that like all the reviews were out to get them because of the cost of the film, that they were, you know, reviewing the budget and not the content. But I got news for him. The content is also not that good. Um, Well, there are good parts of it. Well, yeah, I was going to say, can I jump in for one second? Because I want you to hold it because there's someone else who I think shares your opinion. And I think you will like it. I already love it. I love when anyone agrees with me. We're almost there. Well, we'll see how you feel about this. And Hitler, it was his favorite (laughs) movie. So very quickly, um, by August, reports are coming out that Disney plans to take a $190 million loss on the film. At least. At Mm -hmm. least. Mm -hmm. In September of 2014, Disney chairman Alan Bergman is asked if Disney recouped anything more from John Carter or the Lone Ranger in home video or other markets, to which he famously replied, quote, It didn't get that much better. We did lose that much money on those movies. But one person liked it. Chris, are you ready to hear? Yeah. The Lone Ranger made it onto Quentin Tarantino's top list of movies for 2013. But I want to read what he said, because I think think it's going to be close to how you feel as well. He says, the first 45 minutes are excellent. The next 45 mm-hmm. are a little soporific. It was a bad idea to split the bad guys in two groups. It takes hours to explain and nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Then comes mm-hmm. the train scene. Incredible. Great. Yep. When I saw it, I kept thinking, what? That's the film everybody says is crap? Seriously? That mm-hmm. being said, I still have a little problem with the film. I like Tonto's backstory. The idea that his tribe got slaughtered because of him, that's a real comic book thing. But the slaughter of the tribe by gunfire from the cavalry, it left a bitter taste in my mouth. It's so bad. The Indians have been victims of a genocide. So slaughtering them again in an entertaining movie, Buster Keaton style, that ruined the fun for me. I simply found it ugly. Making fun of this when America really did it, it bothered me. That doesn't stop it. And it serves no narrative function. Nope, that doesn't stop it from being a good film, but they really could have done without that. 
Yes, that's almost exactly how I felt about the movie, which yeah. is the, if I can do my own Tarantinoification of it, the, I didn't love the Johnny Depp as old Tonto talking to the little boy, but whatever, that's fine. It, I, it, take it or leave it. But the first set piece on the train, so good. Yeah. And funny when he tries to hand the little girl her doll back and it gets yes. sucked out the window. Yeah. I laughed out loud. And yeah. when he puts his gun away and all of a sudden the door swings open and all the people are pointing guns, like great physical comedy, amazing choreography, yeah. great stunt work, great work. All the looks amazing. Yeah. So fun. Introduces its characters. I thought that was awesome. I thought it, and I really thought up until the death of the brother, it was, you know, it had its, lurching moments, but it, I, I was enjoying it, even though I, I agree I didn't take aside the two leads. I'm not really loving them, but right. Once uh, otherwise, you get past Johnny Depp's accent, it, and yeah. then the movie totally falls apart for a while. And then yep. you hit the next train sequence. And again, like the scene where the arrows are raining down and army ha- hammers blindfolded is yeah. super funny. Yeah. Um, and it works really well. But then again, they talk about a horrible, just wet blanket to throw on the movie. They, for no reason, just show us a the last samurai style slaughter of an entire tribe of people. Again, for no reason, it serves no purpose in the story. It could not happen, and it would be exactly the same. Like there was, no, it feels. I don't understand it at all. I totally agree. It's trying to bring some level of gravitas to their idea I that guess. they are reinventing this and reinventing Tonto, but they just completely miss the mark. What Tonto gets another tribe killed? Like it just was. It's it, horrible. There was no emotional resonance to it, and and then the end. Again, I liked then, but again, that's where the tone was so off. Then the last thirty minutes are great. They're so fun. Yeah, the William Tell overture going over yep. the whole thing, just him shooting a gun, riding a horse, jumping on trains. Like, that is the movie right there. It was so fun. And, yeah, so I, I very much agreed. I just thought that there was so much great craftsmanship at work from the below-the-line people on this movie that should that should be acknowledged because it's so unfair to just say, oh, The Lone Ranger is a shit movie. It's an extremely well-made movie in so many ways that is saddled with a couple of horrible decisions that were made so many rungs up from so many people that worked on the movie. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. that's my rant. No, I think that's that's totally right. And also, like Quentin Tarantino, famously has had some missteps in in this yes. arena. Mm-hmm. He gets it. Like yeah. <laughs> this is. Yeah. And I I do like Quentin Tarantino. You know, I I think even with his missteps, there's a different. There's a different like his heart is in a different place. I I think. Um, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, when I read that, I was like, yeah, yes, like 100%. The last 30 minutes, the first 30 to 40 minutes, they Mm -hmm. are quite fun. This could have been a good movie. I would have watched the werewolf version of this. Just I don't even care if it's Army Hammer. Fine. Well, now I care, I guess. But back then, like, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hindsight's 2020. But yeah, he was fine. I didn't know he was eating people. But yeah, recast Tonto and yeah. Allegedly eating people. I don't think he's been convicted. But yeah, recast Tonto. This does not need to be Johnny Depp. Put a native actor in this. Either go all in on the supernatural stuff or pull it all out. But don't go halvesies on Wendigos, please. That was not a good idea. Um, Do I want to watch a movie about Wendigos? Maybe. Antlers. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, there actually are several movies about them, I think, already. Well, Chris, that wraps up The Lone Ranger for us. Um, Also, I forgot to do this at the top, but thank you to everyone who's recommended this movie. We've gotten it a million times. Honestly, I was avoiding it. But I'm glad I finally watched it. I am too. I really didn't want to, but it's certainly not the worst thing that we have reviewed on this podcast. It did, like, put me into a coma researching it because there were so many weird rabbit holes I Mm -hmm. kept going down that I would, like get too much anxiety from reading it and just stop <laughs> for like three no, days you could go, time. You could rat hold real deep on a lot of people involved in this movie, yes. et cetera. So yeah, and yeah, it came at an interesting, it came at an inflection point, I think in the way that we were watching movies yes. and finally realizing how we've been doing so many things wrong for so long and we're starting to hopefully improve upon that. And so like The Lone Ranger is and should be held up as an example of what not how, to do. What not to do in so many of those ways. And I want to make sure that we always do that and that we continue to do that. But I also think it's important to separate the fact that the movies require such a coordination of efforts from so many different people. And there really is such, I mean, even just, I would like to say to whoever did the prop design on this movie, the design of, the design of, oh my God. From every Tim Burton movie, why am I blanking? Helena Bonham Carter, her leg, so the design her scrimshaw of her, leg. The design of her ivory shotgun leg so is fun, so good. Like it looks like I want. I was like, I want to touch it just because it looks <laughs> so amazingly well built, and I totally believed it. It didn't feel like a prop. I like, I was like, that looks like it works. Yeah, and I think that's the ultimate compliment you could pay to somebody who makes props in a movie, and even just like. They're walking through the fair and everything that was on display looked like it would be on display at that point in time. Like it was just so remarkable the way that it was done. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're we're getting into what went right, which is, yeah, is great and, and appropriate. Um, yeah. So let's dive I, in, Lizzie. Sure. I, I do just want to say that I think what you called out in terms of this being an inflection point is absolutely right. Between 2008, when I scrubbed through there were not headlines about this Mm -hmm. being an issue. And then all of a sudden we have this conversation about representation starting to come to the foreground. And yeah, just a reminder that representation really, really, really is important. Mm -hmm. And this is how not to do it. Um, In terms of what went right, Chris, it sounds like you're going for the production design. Uh, I have a different one, actually, but you go first. You go first. I'm going to do two. Sure. I'm going to do the Twains. Because everybody Great loved twins. everybody loved the twins, <laughs> including all these men on this mm-hmm. set who have never been so happy in their lives. And uh, the horses, the horseback riding in this was gorgeous, and I love the way that it was shot. And because it's them doing so much of it, it's not choppy. It's really mm-hmm. beautiful to look at. They're shooting in these just stunning locations in the American Southwest. And yeah, I, I'll say horses and twins. <laughs> Great stuff. Great stuff all around. Uh, I would like to say my what went right goes to the first assistant director and all of the assistant directors on this movie. We never talk about them. But the first assistant director, one of the many important things they do, aside from managing the schedule, et cetera, keeping the crew on time, is the team of assistant directors manage the extras on movies. They give them the direction in the movie. And so... uh, when you see an extra that looks out of place and is looking at the camera or doing something weird, like that's the assistant director's job to manage them as the director manages the actors. And I thought the extra work and blocking in this movie was 
out of this world. I thought it was so good. And I never notice it. And usually you only notice it if it's bad. But I noticed it because in this movie, it was, I always felt like the frame was full and that there were real interactions happening that I was interested in at the edge of the frame and behind our main actors. So I want to say great job to all of the extras in this movie and uh, yeah. the wonderful team of assistant directors who worked with them. So you went right on this one. Fun fact about the extras as well. Many of the extras that you see who are building the railroad are people who actually built the railroad. They I are, believe it because it. Lo- I was like, I feel like I'm watching actual labor at, they are. taking place. Yeah, that's yeah. their actual job. And then basically somebody was like, why would we hire actor extras when we could just hire it's these great. guys? great. Smart, smart decision. <laughs> and it looks awesome. So thank you so much, Lizzie. That was a fascinating Very sad, in my opinion, but hopefully something that we can all learn from as we understand the importance of representation and why it's not something that should be taken lightly and then retconned with a half-hearted apology tour PR campaign after the fact. If you guys want a couple movies I've seen recently that I really liked, the just me personally, Native American representation in uh, Prey on Hulu. It's the Predator reboot. It's awesome. Also, Reservation Dogs is really good. And, you know, not a lot of people like this movie, but I really liked it. Hold the Dark um, on Netflix. Uh, Jeremy Saulnier. It's the follow-up to... He did Green Room, Blue Ruin. Yeah. Anyway. It's weird, but it also has it also has James Badgedale in it, so that's why I wanted to plug oh. it. Also, and I love James Badgedale. So. More work for James Badgedale too. <laughs> He's great. So, anyway, thank you so much, Lizzie. Uh, anything else before we let these guys go? No, uh, we will see you all next season. And in the meantime, to keep you thirsty birds sated, we will be re-airing some of our favorite encore episodes um, from the last three seasons. So. Keep an and eye it's on just going to be the birds every time for the thirsty birds. <laughs> the birds. <laughs> the Feed birds. the birds. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, guys. See you soon. Until February. Bye. What Went Wrong is a Sad Boom podcast presented by Lizzie Bassett and Chris Winterbauer. Editing music by David Bowman with cover art from Euthana Uos. 